baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Jason DeRussia has the week off. Sitting in, I'm Dave Schrader. We're coming into a new year. There are a lot of concerns about what's going on in the world around us. We have wars raging in many different ways and in many different places. And from people I'm speaking to and talking to on a regular, wondering if and when there might be another strike or attack against America. And that's something, of course, nobody wants to live under the specter of that cloud. Nobody wants to live with that fear, but it is something that we have to be aware of. I wanted to reach out to somebody who might actually have some insight into this to help us remove some of the the curtain of terror that is uh, surrounding the planet right now and give us some of his valuable insight. Pete Turner is a cultural expert with years working in the most dangerous and culturally challenging environments on Earth. Mr. Turner spent several years as a counterintelligence spy for the U.S. Army, traveling to some of the most dangerous places on Earth, including Afghanistan, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Iraq. And today we've invited him to be a part of the show to talk to us based on his first-hand experiences about our place in the world right now and what's taking place. Pete Turner, thank you so much for joining us here on WCCO. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. I, I appreciate uh, your time, and uh, thanks for thanks for the uh, the great intro. Of it. That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your service for our country and for the work that you continue to do in educating people and enlightening uh, enlightening them. And you know, you and I had a chance to talk off air uh, briefly, loading you with what I really wanted to kind of dive into and and what are the real worries and concerns. I get messages almost daily from uh, military personnel, former military personnel that have real concerns about the safety of our country at this point. So where are we really, Pete? And and can you kind of assess our current situation in the world environment? You know, when I, when I would go off to camp every day, one of my jobs was to try to prevent bad things from happening. But one of my other jobs was to look at the good things, the wins, the losses, you know, and, and inform the commander on, you know, how those things balanced out. And then one of the reasons why I did that is because everybody focuses on threat. And so my peers who are in the military are always threat focused because we're always trying to prevent that next tragedy. And so that that definitely is a lens that we rely on almost exclusively. And what that taught me was is because we always look for threat, we tend to over anticipate it and we look for it in all things. And so I would say there's always bad things happening. There's always bad things about to happen. But if you live that way and you analyze that way, uh, you tend to over-anticipate those things. There, of course, after 9-11, there was a lot of criticism given to our own government about the fact that maybe we weren't analyzing and paying close enough attention at that point. Was that a fair assessment? And, and should we remain vigilant at this point uh, to the levels that we're at? Or is this more scare tactics that we're seeing as opposed to actually preparing and giving uh, intelligent insights as to what's going on and the threats that surround us? I don't even know if it's a binary thing or if it's if this or that. You know, we um, one of my friends, a guy named Eric Kleinsmith, he testified before Congress. His crew found 
the the cells that were going to do 9-11, but the legal requirements of the day didn't allow them. And, and the way they were positioned within the government, they weren't able to actually notify anybody. And even if they did, would anybody had listened? You know, it's just like uh, the Benghazi thing. But there's never enough security for every place. There, there's always a threat. You, in my world, you would find out, hey, there's weapons in the graveyard. There's always weapons in the graveyard. It's just when are you going to get notice of the actual attack? You could always chase down every lead, and and maybe the lead is good, maybe the lead is not. Maybe on that day it's good, maybe on that day it's not. There's always that threat. And this is this is one of the rubs of trying to prevent something that happens. It, it's trying to disprove or prove a negative until that day when it is a positive. It's very, very difficult to, to know these things. And so are, are we at more danger now than we were, say, six months ago or six months previous to that? I, I would say no. We, we have more tools to, to know these things than ever before. Um, the way we analyze money and how it moves alerts us, and we can get in front of these problems, making it harder than ever for nefarious things to happen. Look, things are still going to happen. But we have a much better hold on on trying to prevent these things at a large scale. Well, obviously, we've got some uh, aggression and tension building with Russia. Uh, there's been problems yep. with China for quite a while. Uh, you know, North Korea. There, there's a lot of different fronts that seem to have a bone to pick with America. I think that's why people seem so frightened because before it was one or you know one front that we were facing, and now it seems to be coming from many different sides and many different cultures that are, you know, centering a lot of their anger towards us and resentment because yeah. of our stepping in and aiding other countries that are being uh, bullied and, and, you know, taken apart. Uh, so with that, I think there's a natural sense of fear around the world because of that. I know as a father of, of somebody who's serving in the military and has had to go be prepared near the front lines in case things went poorly – it's very disruptive. Um, are we are we always kind of in these contentious bounds? We're just not as fully alerted to them as we are now. You know, it's it's a good question, and it's that balance. I'm going to be critical of this current administration because these people have been around for 20 plus years. You know, they came up. Um, as young people, and they've graduated up through the ranks, and now they're, you know, they're running the State Department. They're running the the Department of Defense, and um, this current Secretary of Defense has, on a number of occasions, had to stand at a podium and say, "I've not done my job very well." He's not said those exact words, but he's been caught flat-footed. Now, it's not that Secretary Austin is a bad person. It's not that he's incapable, but but he's just had a very unfortunate run. As Secretary of Defense and Secretary Blinken also has um, a, a history where um, this uh, result is is not unexpected. You know, President Biden does not have a great record in foreign policy, and the people that he has brought up with have have also not had a great history of this stuff. And so, some of this is the the seeds that they have planted. You know, they have a history of getting things wrong. You know, and. And the people in these regions, you know, you can name the countries, uh, Syria, Libya, Iraq, Iran, all these places where their judgments and their plans and their and their attempts have, have failed. Um, there's a cost for that. And people get upset by that. It's one of the reasons why I started the foundation that I started, the Ground Truth Center. Where, where, like, if, if, the, if the goal is clear but inaccurate or unachievable, you 
bad outcomes. And so this is one of the problems that we're experiencing now is we have uh, unachievable goals that we try to pull off and it just doesn't work and it creates bad outcomes. When you're saying unachievable goals, what do you believe right now are goals that they have set in place that are, are just not achievable or not workable? Well, we quite often uh, try to export our problems. Look, and, and I'll say things. We often poorly prioritize things. Like, for example, and I've, I've published peer-reviewed articles on this. We'll go to a country like Afghanistan. We'll say, we want you to believe in us. We're here for the long haul, and we want your women to be empowered. And then we'll go with no training, no specific uh, uh, license professionally to go out, and, and we'll go engage with females. And we'll do it haphazardly, and we'll do it intermittently. And then ultimately we leave, and, and these females pay the price for this. You know, we, we don't treat it like a serious problem. We, we feel like it's a serious problem. We can look at the data and see it's a serious problem, but we don't treat it like a serious problem. And that creates uh, a life and death struggle for the people that we leave behind when, when we turn code on them. That's a real problem. And so when you misprioritize things or when you don't act like something is important, when it absolutely is important, right? Understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that right. engaging with females is unimportant. What I'm saying is, is when you don't treat it as important as it is or when you put it in front of something like security, um, you, you, don't, you haven't earned the right to do that. It becomes inappropriate. It becomes unethical. And so we have these ethical problems at the ground level. Because our people, our policy people, our legislators, they are acting in a non-principled or an unprincipled manner. And it puts the people like me on the ground in a position of, of um, moral compromise where we have to ultimately, not knowingly, but we ultimately have to lie and people get killed because um, there's no follow through. There's no principled behavior at the upper echelons of our government. Our guest is on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. We'll take a quick break. Pete Turner, our guest here, if you'd like to weigh in, if you have questions, thoughts, concerns, you can hit me up on the WCCO Talk and text line 651-461-9226. That's 651-461-9226. I'm Dave Schrader in for DeRussia right here on News Talk 830 WCCO. We're back filling in for Jason DeRussia. I'm Dave Schrader. Pete Turner, our guest, Mr. Turner, spent several years as a counterintelligence spy for the U.S. Army, traveling to some of the most dangerous places on Earth. He's here today to weigh in on some of the concerns and stories that are popping up all around the uh, the world right now. There's a new story that just came out within the last 24 hours, Pete. Uh, Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China, raised concerns about China's alleged experimentation with biological weapons that are targeting human brains. The report, the Washington Times detailed Chinese Communist Party studies on weapons designed to induce sleep-related disturbances, create brain device connections, and develop pharmaceuticals to genetically and physiologically impair individuals. Chang and Fred Flights uh, emphasized the need to challenge China on its biological weapons program, suggesting a potential link to the global COVID-19 pandemic and highlighting the serious violation of the Biological Weapons Convention. These are biological weapons, and China isn't part of the bi- Biological Weapons Convention, and uh, that would outlaw this, Chang said. The whole idea of genetic drugs, although it's not been fleshed out, certainly is a bi- uh, biological weapon. What are your thoughts on, on this breaking news coming out over the last 24 hours? I mean, uh, you know, the, the next country to start a bio 
uh, weapons program won't be the first or the last. You, you know, I'm positive we are working on our own means of uh, preventing, I'm doing quote of fingers, preventing uh, any kind of bio weapon thing by developing things to uh, to counteract that stuff. You know, like that's not my bailiwick, but, but I can tell you this is uh, as science advances, everybody's trying to find an advantage. You know, drone weaponry has exploded all over the battlefield. And, uh, you know, we're always seeing a, a pushing forward of the battlefield. You know, we're seeing robot tech explode. So there's all kinds of threats and, and we can get wrapped up in that. But ultimately, um, I think the important thing is, it's much more important than all those things, is before there's war, you, you have words. And when you run out of words, then things like bioweapons, nuclear weapons, robots, and drones, those things come to the fore. And, uh, like, you know, when, when people talk about, for example, Israel and Hamas and their war, now they're using words desperately trying to, uh, to, to create a narrative around a war. That's too late. War is out and, and war is horrible. It's grisly. And you're trying to impose your will upon your enemy to make them stop wanting to fight a war. So we use words now before uh, anything else, because then these horrors come out and, and there is no stopping it until one of the sides takes a knee and says, please stop. Well, Vladimir Putin has been throwing words out for a considerable amount of time, especially with what's going on in the Ukraine and the assistance that America has been showing. And the word nuclear retaliation has come out more than a dozen times. Is that uh, a bully just bullying? Is that somebody posturing, letting us know what's coming? Where do you stand on that, knowing the type of things that you've been involved in? You know, it's always, you know, I can say something and he can do the opposite. You never know with Putin. He is a bit of a wild card. Uh, he has to be strong because it takes not that many people on his side to say, knock, knock, hey, you're done, right? And he gets dragged through the street. So he's got to put a strong front up. You can never forget that because the moment he doesn't look like he's powerful, someone will come take him out. We want him to be there because the devil we dance with is better than, than the next devil. That's almost always true. So let's say that first. I don't think he'll use nuclear weapons. That's that's foolish because the second he does that, he becomes the kind of problem that does get dealt with, and uh, and he doesn't want that. You know, he's in a position right now where they've taken land, um, they're holding land, and it, it's not likely that Ukraine is going to have the support from the U.S. to 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 get their land back. And so, at some point, the U.S. and Ukraine, the U.S. And Russia will sit down at the table. Ukraine will be at the little kids' table, and the U.S. and Russia will hammer out a deal. That's probably where we are at today, right now. Now, look, someone's going to disagree with me, and they're welcome to do so because who really ultimately knows? But I, I don't see a reason for him to use nuclear weapons other than to, to have some bravado and say that I'm strong and I'm going to get this deal done. And, and he can say that's his narrative, right? He gets to say that and say, for Russia, I did these things, and I'm still the strong leader. So, again, there is, there's a lot of bluster that goes into each one of these propositions before. You said words seems to lead into bluster, seems to lead into a deadlock that then, if we don't hammer it out, that's when we have to start sweating it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and there's people that are, look, there's, there's weapons and material, right? And, and Ukraine has to beg for material right now. And, and they're going to run out of people as well. I mean, at some point, you can only have so many people. There's a lot of people left, but you have to be able to stand up afterwards and, and they're going to run out of people. So uh, Russia has more people and it just gets ugly after that. So at some point we need Ukraine to be able to stand up on their own. And so it's, they're, they're getting to that point where there's just not enough people and stuff. 
to where they can fight hard for a whole lot longer. They may choose to, but that's not a very good long-term decision. Uh, all right. In your position right now, what do you think is something we need to keep an eye out on? Uh, maybe not something that's going to come, you know, free fall in our way in the next year or two, but where do you think that attentions do need to be focused at this point? Well, I think there's a couple areas that are interesting. Uh, one of the things I would say is it's not that big of a deal is uh, folks get focused on Taiwan and China. China has a lot of problems to deal with internally. They also have a lot of borders that they have to manage. They have a resource problem as well. It's a big country with a lot of people. And so when folks talk about Taiwan, they don't realize the provisioning problem that it takes to get uh, a force across that strait. That strait is fast moving. It's dangerous open water, and it's extremely hard to put humans on a boat in that water and have it land safely in Taiwan in a fighting condition. It's just exceptionally hard to do. So I would say if you hear people talk about that, they don't really understand the logistics that, that are required to do that and how much notice everybody would have in the whole world to be able to say, hey, China, don't do that. Plus, I don't understand why they'd want to. They've got so many other problems to, to solve. I think more interestingly is the shipping problem we have right now. We're trying to sort out as a, as a coalition of nations you know, the very limited number of places where we can run ships through to, to get things and to have things, you know, like the Straits of Malacca, if that's closed down, and if the Suez Canal is closed down, and if the Panama Canal is closed down, you know, all these, all of a sudden, there's only so many places to run ships through, and that starts bottlenecking things, and that becomes a real problem. And that is something that is happening right now because of uh, Hamas's real war, is we're, we're feeling the tension on that. And so right now we're using words and diplomats trying to solve that problem. But if that gets contentious and that gets a little bit uh, uh, dicier, we're going to see some real problems with supply. And uh, that'll increase demand, that'll increase cost, and then you'll see some real problems then. Uh, from the talk and text line, we've got a question coming in. It says, we as citizens were lied to about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. We were lied to about Vietnam. We have weapons, or we gave weapons to the Taliban to beat the Russians. Then we spent 20 years fighting the Taliban. When is our government going to stop lying and let other nations figure out some things for themselves? Never. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest here. Uh, we love to lie to ourselves. The, the military lied to itself in Afghanistan again. I watched us do it. I watched it. I would sit in the room. We were going to, this is 100% true. We're gonna, every quarter, you know, wherever, wherever you were, you would meet as a region and you would say, all right, how's the Afghan government doing? And I would raise my hand because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wise guy. And I would say, where are the Afghans? Like, oh, this meeting's classified. Like, we're talking about the Afghan government. Why aren't the Afghan government people here? Well, this meeting's classified. And I raised my hand. Like, why is it classified? We're talking about their stuff. And so we would lie to ourselves about how great they were doing so that nobody got a bad score on how we were doing. And it was just an exercise in telling everybody a lie because we all agreed that we were all going to lie and say, hey, everything's going great here. Now, keep in mind, I'm the guy that goes out and goes, are we doing great here? And we weren't. And so we just lied to ourselves. Not only did we lie to you all, we lied to ourselves. And so when you look around and you see the generals and you see the senators and you see the policy people. Are, and see are the you academics. lying, though? Are you lying to yourselves in the government doing this to try to because you, you've got to have a certain level of confidence in the conflict that you're involved in and you're taking the, the positive posture? Or are you lying to yourselves knowing that things are not going well, but you don't want to be the, the messenger? You're lying because um, you're out there and you can't comprehend that we're not getting it right. We are a net destabilizer when we show up places. The U.S. government is a net destabilizer. Keep that in mind. And then the next rule is, is that we cannot comprehend that that's true. 
And so it's this feedback loop. So we're not lying intentionally. We just can't comprehend that we destabilize places we go to. We create, when people talk about corruption, we are the corruption. These are rules. And until we change that policy and that attitude, the ground truth center stuff is what I specialize in. That, that reality will continue to be. So Vietnam, Iraq, whatever it's going to be, we are the corruption. We are the instability. We will continue to bring those things. It will, we will continue to sow that chaos. Man, what a harsh pillow to uh, have to swallow. Pete, thank you for your time and weighing in with us. Thank you for the work that you've done on behalf of our citizens and uh, our government, even though knowing that what you're doing may not be helping and, and doing your very best in, in the face of that adversity. Thank you so much. How can people keep up with you and your podcast and the work that you're doing? I think the best thing to do is uh, on X, Pete, at break it down, or you can email me, Pete, at breakitdownstraight.com, X, Pete A. Turner, any social media, Pete A. Turner. The Ground Truth Center is, is our nonprofit attempting to change these things. And uh, you can always reach out to me for that. And thank you so much for letting me talk about it. I really appreciate it. It's not all doom and gloom. We are making some progress. We are making progress. We shouldn't be living uh, with our head in the sand, but we don't need to be living with it in a rain cloud either, right? That's right. That's right. Perfect. Pete, thank you so much. Stay tuned. We'll be back. We've got more to discuss. I'm your host today, Dave Schrader, right here on News Talk 830. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. WCCO. Dave Schrader in for Jason DeRussia. I'll be here with you for the remainder of this week. And I'll be joining you on Monday from noon to 3. I hope you'll continue to tune in and spend some time with me. An interesting article came out uh, regarding resurrection biology, gaining traction around the world. And I was like, resurrection biology, what in God's green earth is this? It's attempting to bring back strings of molecules and more complex organisms back to life. And why would they want to do that? Well, I mean, it's a far cry from, like, you know, genetically engineered dinosaurs that, that you find in Jurassic Park. Although for some scientists, the ultimate goal is de-extinction and resurrecting animals and plants that have been lost. Other researchers, though, are looking to our past for new sources of drugs or to sound an alarm about the possibility of long dormant pathogens being released again. The field of study is also about recreating elements of human history in an attempt to better understand how our ancestors might have lived and died. So here are some of the fascinating research projects uh, that are emerging in the field that launched or made significant process in the uh, progress rather in, in 2023 reviving Zombie viruses. Now, again, this is where my sci-fi animal brain kicks in, and I just immediately begin to worry. Of course, they don't mean it in the sense that we all think it does, thanks to Hollywood. But warmer temperatures in the Arctic are thawing, and uh, they're, they're getting through the region's permafrost, a frozen layer of soil beneath the ground, and potentially stirring viruses that, after laying dormant for tens of thousands of years, could re-enter our atmosphere and endanger both animal and humans alike. Jean-Michel Claver, a professor emeritus of medicine and genomics at the uh, University School of Medicine in Marseille, 
France is seeking to better understand the risks posed by what he describes as zombie viruses by resurrecting these viruses from Earth samples from Siberia. Now, he managed to revive a virus back in 2014 that he thought he and his team had isolated from the permafrost, making it infectious for the first time in nearly 30,000 years by inserting it into cultured cells. And in his latest research, published in February, Clavier and his team isolated several strains of this ancient virus from multiple samples of Earth, representing five new families of viruses. For safety, he had chosen to study a virus that could only target single-celled amoebas, not animals or humans. The oldest was nearly 48,500 years old based on the radiocarbon dating of the soil and came from a sample of Earth taken from an underground lake 52 feet below the surface. The youngest samples that they worked on were only around 27,000 years ago. But the amoeba-infecting viruses are still infectious after so long. That's a signal of a very serious potential public health threat, according to Clavier. He, uh, we view these amoeba-infecting viruses as surrogates for all other possible viruses that might be in the permafrost. Our reasoning is that if the amoeba viruses are still alive, there's no reason why other viruses will not be alive and therefore capable of infecting their hosts. So we're also uh, seeking antibiotics to start to go to battle against these possible diseases and viruses that may be unleashed again. For bioengineering pioneer Cesar de la Fuente, a presidential assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania, the past is what he believes is a source of opportunity that's opened up a brand new front in the fight against drug-resistant superbugs. So advances in the recovery of this ancient DNA from fossils means that detailed libraries of genetic information about extinct human relatives and our long-lost animals, they're now publicly available. The machine biology group that he leads at UPenn uses intelligence-based computational methods to mine this genetic information and then identify small protein or peptide molecules that they believe to have bacteria-fighting powers. He's also discovered promising compounds from Neanderthals and Ice Age creatures such as the woolly mammoth and the giant sloth. It's enabled him to uncover new sequences, new types of molecules that have not previously been found in living organisms, expanding the way that we think about molecular diversity. De La Fuente said, bacteria from today, have never faced those molecules, so they may give us a better opportunity at targeting the pathogens that are the problematic aspect today. Most antibiotics come from bacteria and fungi and have been discovered by screening these microorganisms that live in the soil. But in recent decades, pathogens have become resistant to many of these drugs because of widespread overuse. While De La Fuente's approach is somewhat unorthodox, I guess, across the field, the urgency to identify possible candidates has never been greater as the global population faces nearly 5 million deaths every year that are associated with microbial resistance. And that's according to the World Health Organization itself. So they're also looking at, you know, Jurassic Park-style work, plotting the resurrection of things like the dodo bird, the woolly mammoth, and the Tasmanian tiger, just to name a few. Uh, I thought what was really interesting about this article, though, and especially with what we just talked to uh, Pete about, Pete Turner, is the fact that uh, if there are other countries that are at work trying to come up with pathogens and things to uh, use as a weapon against us, these dirty bombs, biological weapons, I guess staying on the forefront of this understanding how germs, molecules, bacteria, and viruses work is imperative. And this type of work, this resurrection work, is really going to help, uh, I, I believe, in the long run in getting us ahead of that curve so that 
God forbid, something is much more viral, much more devastating and released on our planet, we should hopefully be much better prepared for it than we were, say, just even a few years ago. So there's a lot of work that's going into this. I I think that's exciting. I'm always happy when I can see science stepping up, doing interesting new things with old technology and old problems, finding issues that that we faced as part of humanity in the past and finding a way to uh, resurrect that information, that data that was lost to us so that we can use it, categorize it now, and find ways to move forward in a healthier environment. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. I've got uh, more to share. Uh, unfortunately, we'll talk about the uh, the death of, of uh, comedian and actor Tommy Smothers. And uh, there's news breaking as well that uh, there's some issues regarding Pete Davidson on set having a confrontation. We'll talk about that and more right here on News Talk 830 WCCO. All right, welcome back to the program. Jason DeRussia is off. I'm Dave Schrader filling in. Talk and text line is open. 651-461-9226. 651-461-9226. Messages coming in. Dude, stop. You're blowing my mind. Can we just go back to a lighter topic like the global war on terror? I get you. I understand. Sometimes these are scary things to discuss, but my hopes was in bringing forth some of the information from an expert who's been in the field like Pete Turner and giving you some insight that, yes, there's going to be problems. There's always been problems. There will always be problems, but we don't need to walk around with our head in a rain cloud, and and we will see things coming much further in advance, according to him, being a counterintelligence spy for many years and working in some of the most war-torn, dangerous sites on the planet Earth. And then talking about this uh, resurrection science that they're doing, nothing to be afraid of. These are things that are going to help us on the whole, I believe, just get ahead of curves and understand things. And you know what? We might all get to see a much tamer version of Jurassic Park when they start bringing back some extinct Creatures that are not going to maul us, eat us, and run amok in our streets. You'll have to go to their special island for that. Special park, perhaps put somewhere far away, like Minnehaha Park or something. I don't know. So far away. Right. Pete Davidson, known for making audiences laugh from Saturday Night Live to stand-up, is uh, usually one of the best at at punchlines out in the business. However, it seems that... He might be dealing with uh, wanting to throw more punches than punchlines lately. On the set of his upcoming film, Riff Raff, Pete Davidson became belligerent with a pestering paparazzi, and he had to be held back from attacking the man before the star retreated to his tailor, or trailer rather, and tore it apart. I like how they say Pete Davidson. You can tell it's the media reporting. He became belligerent with the paparazzi. That's how it works, right? No. Oh, okay. No, usually it's the other way around. The paparazzi harassing the celebrities, calling out hateful things, sometimes saying rude and obnoxious things to get that one annoying photograph of them looking over their shoulders angry or shaking a fist or doing something or just saying stupid. I've been in Los Angeles. I've been to some red carpet events and have had the luck to be there, and I've listened to some of the hate and some of the ridiculous comments that are made to celebrities. We forget that they're humans and that they do have feelings. It's true. And you've got to give them much more credit than that. And and going after them, yeah. I just think it's funny that a media-written piece says that he was the one being belligerent. I'm guessing that it didn't just start with some passive uh, paparazzi on the sidelines. It's all about the narrative. Yeah. It's all about the narrative. 
Yeah. At first glance, it's relatively easy to sympathize with Pete Davison in this matter. He didn't immediately attack the man trying to photograph him. Instead, the comedian repeatedly just asked the man to leave him alone. Notably, the paparazzi in question had been effectively stalking the set for hours. And that would be enough to get on anybody's bad side. However, a source close to Pete Davidson made it clear that his angry reaction and subsequent set trashing isn't normal behavior for the star. The source claims that Davidson had uh, been smoking plenty of marijuana, the devil's lettuce, Satan's cabbage. Yeah. Yeah. It's legal out there. Yeah. He's, he's obviously going through something right now, and people around him are worried. Well, this narrative turned quickly. He, he's been going through mental health stuff. Right. And... You know, when you poke a tiger enough, eventually it's going to rear its ugly head and try and bite you. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I I feel for him. It <laughs> says here, with uh, with that being said, he's apparently much nicer to his castmates, including Bill Murray and Ed Harris. Uh, and the source is quick to note that Davidson is a really good guy and everybody really likes him. Uh, I, you know, the, the level of, of arrogance that comes from some of the paparazzi, and I'm not talking standard media. I'm talking these parasites that harass and harangue celebrities and leave me alone when I'm out in public. What jerks? Yeah, Don't I hate when it happens who I to think me. I am. Yeah, yeah. Why aren't you bothering me? Yeah, people are, people bang on the Odyssey window on the doors downstairs all the time because they just want to uh, get my autograph. Is that what it is? I think so. Either oh. that or they want to meet Jason DeRussia, which he's on vacation. Well, so that's the, not they happening. were wearing DoorDash hats. I thought maybe yeah. that's why they were banging. No, on the door. no, no, no. All right, that's just on Saturdays. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, comedian Tom Smothers has passed away at the age of 86. One half of the Smothers Brothers duo, Tom Smothers, is remembered by his brother as a one-of-a-kind creative partner. On Wednesday, Dick Smothers, Tom's brother and comedy partner, announced in a statement via the National Comedy Center that his brother died in his Sonoma County, California home from symptoms related to cancer. Tom was not only the loving older brother that everyone would want in life, he was a one-of-a-kind creative partner. Dick said in a statement, I am forever grateful to have spent a lifetime together with him on and off stage for over 60 years. Our relationship was like a good marriage. The longer we were together, the more we loved and respected one another. We were truly blessed. One half of the pair's beloved Smothers Brothers comedy hour, Tom often played the role of the comedian goofball, ending his bits with lines like, Mom always liked you best, directed to his brother when he wouldn't get his way. The series helmed by Tom as well as writers, including Steve Martin, also delved into political topics during its three-season run from 67 to 69, including the Vietnam War, religion, and drug use. And that's what eventually got them taken off the air was their uh, reverence, irreverence, and just standing up in the face of polite society and thumbing their nose at it and taking oh, yeah. swipes, making comments, making social commentary in ways that – you know, if it's done in in characteristic form in cartoon strips, it's okay. But when you have live action people mocking the government at the time, it was just not good, not and they good. were pulled yeah. off the air. I just one of my favorite moments was watching uh, Tommy Smothers show up on Johnny Carson's last episode of the Tonight Show, and if it wasn't the last, it was within the last couple. And he had such an uncanny resemblance to Johnny at that time in his life. And he can't, he couldn't do an, an imitation to save his life, but he could do all the rocking and the kind of lip popping and the silliness yeah. that Johnny would do. And that seemed to uh, garner quite, quite a bit of uh, hysterics from the audience. He will be missed. The comedy world a little quieter today. We'll take a break. We'll come back. More to discuss. I'm Dave Schrader, and this, this is News Talk 830 WCCO. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.